big welcome to the world as Saudi Arabia begins to issue tourist visas for the first time, the latest push in its wider economic diversification drive. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Saudi Arabia has announced the launch of its new tourist visas, which are now available. You can obtain a 90-day multiple entry visa to enter the country. The new e-visas, or the Visa on Arrival Services, are extended to 49 countries, including the UK, US, Canada, and Australia. This is really important, as tourism is a key component of Saudi Arabia's Vision 2030 program to diversify the economy away from its reliance on hydrocarbons. Saudi Arabia expects to increase the international and domestic visits to 100 million a year by 2030. That's going to increase the tourism sector's contribution towards GDP to 10% over that time, up from just 3% now. This includes developing major new projects, being termed as giga projects, NEOM, the Red Sea Project, Kadia, Amala, and Ad-Daria are probably going to be household names by 2030. The news of the tourist visas comes as the kingdom's non-oil GDP growth rate is at 2.9% for the second quarter. That's higher than the 2.1% rate of expansion achieved in the first quarter of this year. That's according to the latest data released by the General Authority for Statistics. That's the strongest pickup in non-oil economic growth since the fourth quarter of 2015. And that's when various fiscal consolidation measures and reforms were put in place as a reaction to the fall in peak oil prices, which began in the summer of 2014. To discuss all of this in depth, uh, welcome Kelsey Warner, who is now the National's new future editor, which is another conversation. Hello, Mustafa. Yes, good to be here. Good. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, a whole new conversation and a whole new conversation I think that the National is about to have around what's to come for us here in the UAE and the wider world in terms of technology, innovation, and like human potential. It's not just the tech beat. It's what are we, who are we going to be in the future? Well, we'll get, we'll get into that in future episodes, cool. I'm sure. Sounds good. Um, but, you know, it, while we stay on the, uh, the repetitive theme of the future, um, Saudi Arabia's big news, um, they've launched uh, this tourism visa that very ant- highly anticipated, but expected to be a game changer in terms of getting the number of people uh, traveling to Saudi Arabia just as tourists, not just business or religious pilgrims. Um, so this is really, really big news uh, for the region and tourism, which has been a very, very important sector uh, for the Gulf, for the wider Middle East in recent years in terms of diversification and getting away from that reliance on commodities-based income. Uh, we're going to get some color on the ground now from Saudi. We've had a couple of the Nationals uh, staff out there for this big announcement, also going around uh, the kingdom, seeing some of the key places. Ashley Stewart um, from the National is joining us down the line. Ashley, thanks for joining us from Saudi. Uh, Maybe you can explain exactly where you are. I believe it's somewhere in Neom on the Red Sea. Is that right? Yeah, so we're in, at the moment, we're in the the city of Tabuk, which is just inland of where Neom's going to be. And that's on the Red Sea and near the border with Jordan. Is that right? Yes, yes. So it's quite interesting. The whole coastline along here is completely undeveloped. Our guide was telling us yesterday that there's not a single five-star resort along here, and he was kind of lamenting that fact. But 
I can imagine in a few years he's going to be sad <laughs> that that's not the case anymore. Yeah, so the ambitions are big. I mean, if we, if we take a step back, you've been in Saudi now for well over a week. Is that correct? And, and you've been there for a specific reason. I've been in Saudi since uh, last Thursday, and we came out the day before the tourist visas were officially launched. So on Friday, the the tourism authority basically opened its doors to the world and said, basically, from now, people can apply for tourist visas to come in. There are 90-day visas. They are valid for a year. Um, they're open to 49 countries. Uh, with the, I think they're going to be extending it to more countries as time goes along. So it was officially launched on Friday night at a huge gala dinner. I mean, they'd obviously thrown everything at it. It was kind of like a a massive show interspersed with a bunch of people talking about their ambitions for the country, how it's not just about Saudi looking for, for money and things like that, that it's about the people that, who want to open their doors and open their homes to, to tourists. There was a huge, almost like performance kind of thing, which honestly almost looked like the opening ceremony of the Olympics in Saudi Arabia. It was there were women driving through the audience. There was incredible projections all over this this event space. Performances from Saudi dance troops. There was dolphin drones and an acrobatic scuba diver. It was just it was insane. Yeah, Ashley, you've been on quite an epic uh, voyage this week as Saudi Arabia makes this sort of historic, you know, opening of its doors to tourists for really its first time in its history. Can you talk a little bit about who you've been on this trip with? what the interest level is from kind of the global community. Yeah, so it's hard to say. So the the trip that we're on at the moment has been put together quite carefully in terms of the different audiences and, and different journalists speaking to different regions. And that's only for the press trip after the gala and the big launch. I mean, everyone was here for the launch. There was BBC, there was Reuters, there was CNN. I mean, there was everyone. Everyone was covering it. Um, there's a few other groups out by themselves covering Saudi Arabia at the moment. It kind of seems like everyone wants to know what's going on and what's here and what tourists can do and those kind of things. And to be honest, like, I mean, we started from Riyadh and we've gone from Riyadh to Tabuk. So in Riyadh, we were just uh, basically looking around the city. We went for a drive out to this um, kind of like the edge of the desert with all these massive cliffs and things like that. It's called the edge of the world, which is quite um, interesting for tourists. But it's crazy when you get to these places, there is no one there. There is no tourism infrastructure. There is no bathrooms. There is no fencing. There is nothing. So it's not often that you go to a country like this where you have tourist sites completely to yourself and there is just no, you have no idea that these places are even tourist sites. They're just places that you drive up to and, and look at. It's crazy. So you really are there on day one of Saudi Arabia as a tourist destination. And you've written a little bit about what the mega projects are that are planned. Not mega, giga. Giga, excuse Which I'd never me. heard. What is a giga project? <laughs> I've heard of a mega project. What is a giga project, Ashley? <laughs> Pardon me. Can you tell us a little bit about what, how Saudi Arabia is defining this giga project versus a mega project? And what, what are some of the... Um, sites that we can look forward to. Sure. Um, So I think it's important to note first that 
like it is very clear that Saudi Arabia is positioning itself as a luxury tourist destination, and that comes down to even just the price of the tourist visa, which is 440 reals, which is expensive as far as tourist visas go. And even the big giga projects and things like that, they are going to be huge luxury destinations like um, Adria, which is just outside of Riyadh. Uh, is like the first, the one that they're saying is going to be the first one. It's like the jewel of the kingdom, and that's going to uh, exist around at Taraf, which is the UNESCO listed site where the first Saudi state was, um, and that is basically going to be 30 luxury hotel chains, world class restaurants, entertainment facilities, all those kind of things. The first hotel that's going in there is an Amman, so they really are going after that really high end traveller. Neom and Amala and the Red Sea Project are all the same. Um, I mean, I was talking to the the chief executive of the Al-Ula Royal Commission the other day, and he was saying that they want travelers who have been around the world and seen a lot of things and who want to experience something different. But when we asked him, is there going to be accommodation offerings for everyone? Is there going to be hostels? He did stress the fact that they were bringing in mostly luxury accommodations and things like that. So they really want to go after people at that higher end of the spectrum. They're targeting 30 million uh, visitors a year by 2030. I'm assuming that number will include um, the 3 million plus that are already coming for Hajj, um, uh, the the religious visitors, the pilgrims. Uh, But, I mean, 30 million a year is a big number. Uh, And if it's all luxury... You know, maybe, maybe. I mean, this may have to evolve. I mean, maybe, maybe in the beginning, the first few years, they'll target the luxury visitors because maybe that's the the easiest way to do it, rather than trying to go mass market to begin with. Yeah, I think that's true to begin with, for sure. I mean, they've inked deals with all these very like well-known high hotel chains. Uh, Hilton have have said that they're going to do forty-one in the next ten years, which is quite a lot, and that's. But they, they've also said that they're going to be building four stars as well. I mean, the Alula guy said that also there's probably going to be Airbnbs and things like that popping up because they the locals will want to get a slice of the, the tourism industry as well. So I think all those enterprising locals that want to get, in, get involved, they can. And the logistics, let's say right now there's obviously a lot of infrastructure in cities like Riyadh and Jeddah, uh, a lot of hotels, some of the big brand names are already there. Uh, people have been visiting for business and and other reasons. It, can, logistically, could you go and stay in Riyadh as you've done, and then visit all these heritage sites, whether it's Al Ula or Tabuk or or or, 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 Kadia or you know anywhere else, and 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 that would work as well. It's hard to say. So Riyadh, for sure, is already an established city. Obviously, there's a lot of businessmen that have been doing work here for for years and years and years. So Riyadh is, is developed. There's not a lot of selection, but you could quite easily go there and stay at a lovely five-star hotel and have, have a nice time. Alula is quite underdeveloped. I mean, we went and stayed at a really gorgeous desert camp that kind of looks like those that you see in Wadi Rum in um, Jordan. So there's going to be more of those popping up. At the moment, there's there's one really nice one that you can go and stay at which is still under construction. But in terms of, like, where we are in Tabuk, we are, we, we've been here for a day, and yesterday the whole day was spent driving, basically. So 
there, there's basically one Hilton. So we drove three hours north to see this this beautiful valley. There's no infrastructure around there whatsoever, absolutely none. We drove then another two, two and a half hours down to see this beautiful shipwreck just off the coast, which is one of the most famous sites around here. There's nothing there. There's not even a fence. There's no signage. There's nothing. You just see this shipwreck just off the coast and you drive down to it. And then we went along the coast to, I think it's basically the only hotel in the area, and it's very, very, very basic, um, right in the middle of some, I think it looks like stalled developments and things like that. So at the moment, to book is, is very hard to navigate. I mean, they're they're building a lot around here, but like right now, if you're coming into to book, it's going to be very, very difficult. It's nice for tourists that want to see something that's completely untouched, but it's very hard to navigate. All those other centers are going to slowly be built up, though. And then the other question I think Western tourists are going to have is, you know, they land at the airport. Is the expectation that women put on a bias? Is the expectation that women have to travel with male guardians? Um, what, are the, what are the rules of the road in place for people getting visas? So from when the tourist visas launched, we asked, will female travelers have to wear a bias? And then... The tourism authority and basically everyone, the tourist operators and things like that, have said no. So we've we've saying now a lot of it's been reported that they're relaxing the dress codes, which is true to an extent. But Saudi has been saying for a long time that wearing an abaya isn't isn't necessarily a rule or a law; like it is a choice. Female travellers won't have to wear an abaya, but you will have to be respectful. But it's the same thing. I mean, about going to India or Pakistan or Japan, you just kind of have to obey local sure. um, cultural be respectful of the local. traditions and be respectful and things like that. So, Have you been wearing an abaya on this trip? I have. I brought an abaya. <laughs> I just think that um, in some places it's just easier as well, like just to throw an abaya over the mm-hmm. top. I mean, the women around here and things like that, they're pretty accepting. So even walking around with like your bio open and you're wearing jeans underneath or whatever, it's completely fine. And I know that um, Haley, um, who also works at the National, she was in Jeddah and she was walking around with just jeans and a long sleeve top and apparently she felt fine. So I think it's, it's, you're going to see it changing as tourists come in and things like that and it, it will just become more relaxed over time. Yeah, they, they clarified their public decency laws um, in recent days as well that laid out some of the rules and and actually the penalties which are interestingly they're just fines so should you be involved in say dressing inappropriately i mean they even had something specific which is you can't walk around in your underwear um there were fines for that and then fines for repeated uh offenses so they're, they're clearly they the authorities are trying to tell people don't be afraid when you come here um also you know, don't be stupid don't be stu- yeah but people are stupid i mean i think that's it and <laughs> And people can be stupid when they're on holiday. Um, but they're saying, you know, even if you are repeatedly stupid, um, we will fine you. It will be a, a capital punishment of money. Of money, yeah. Money. Exactly. It's, you, this, is, this is how much you'd be expected to pay. And, you know, 6,000 okay. 6, reals, which is effectively 6,000 dirhams, um, is, is not a little amount of money um, to be fined for something. So it, it should deter most people. And you just hope that the, the stupidest of travelers will anyway not want to go to Saudi, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And especially, I mean, in a country that does not serve alcohol, um, it should hopefully exactly. um, reduce some of the level of stupidity that you'll get from tourists as well. The other thing I wanted to ask you, Ashley, is you actually spoke to a uh, tour guide who's been working in Jeddah for a couple decades now. What did he say to you about what he hopes for 
these new visitors. He calls himself the number one tourist, uh, tourist guide in Saudi Arabia, and apparently that's verified. But he has been working since he was 28. He's been in the game for for decades. And he, I found out the other day that he took 50 Cent around when 50 Cent was in Jeddah, and he's taken around the WWE wrestlers and things like that. So he, he's been doing it for a long time. He lives and breathes it. And he was just, it was the day of the tourist visas being announced, and he was so excited. Like, you could see it on his face. He was just so ready for it to be completely open to the world. And he was just saying... Everyone else is so ready as well. We've been waiting for this for a long time. We're ready to sh- like share our beautiful country with people. He said he had a really great, great quote. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like, it's like when you have a really lovely house with really lovely furniture, but there's no one around to come and see it. He was just saying that he, he like business has been fine for him because he deals with mostly business people or people going to Hajj who want to see a little bit of other stuff as well. But he's so excited about just people who are curious about the country coming in and just wanting to go to Alula and see basically what's being described as like the second Petra and things like that. Like, And then the, the big terraces out in Jazan that are really lush greens and things like that that you wouldn't associate with Saudi Arabia. So I think he's just excited that all those stereotypes about Saudi Arabia are just kind of going to be washed away, basically. Uh, well, listeners can read that interview with Samir Komasani on the national.ae that Ashley uh, kindly wrote up for us all. Um, Ashley, safe travels back to the UAE. Thanks for talking to us from Saudi and for uh, letting us know how the trip has been. Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. So really interesting color there from from Ashley about the, the actual state of the of the tourism and investment infrastructure. And, and two things jump to mind. One is there's going to be a lot of construction mm-hmm. over the next few years, which to some extent is very, very good news for regional Economies. developers yes. and contractors and hotel operators eventually. But also that this Saudi tourism boom is going to be a bit of a slow burn sure. to begin with. I mean, and you almost have to give them credit for not building it and then inviting. It's if you build it, they will come. And right. they are starting from day one, kind of scrappy, kind of saying, we're just we're doing this. And it's, you know, all rolled out all at once. Um, and I, hearing Ashley speak about this trip, you really get a sense of how vast the country is. She's <laughs> talking about spending a lot of time in buses. Um, so, yeah, it, it was really interesting to get a feel for um, what's still to come and what still needs to be done. I mean, where she is in Neon, which is like a $500 billion project, that's going to be a massive city up on the north of the Red Sea coast in Saudi. And, you know, they've talked about this for a while now. Um, but, uh, I mean, to give an idea of the scale, recently the airport there got a uh, license to be a commercial airport, which means that, in, in I'll quote, 2,500 passenger boardings a year. That's what it's reached now, which is tiny. I mean, you think about some of the international airports, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, elsewhere in the region. I mean, that's that's the the the, the volume at the moment. Mm-hmm. So really, we're, we're talking about very very small numbers. So really, again, it, it, it lets me think. And, and Ashley had been talking about some of the locals getting in on the Airbnb opportunities, for example. There will be a lot of room for that as they build up the mass of visitors coming. And it's interesting, I mean, especially if they're they're not planning on catering to budget travelers immediately, it will actually give uh, residents, people on the ground, kind of some interesting opportunities to build some real community experiences that haven't been maybe gentrified by 
the holiday ends of the world. Correct. And not that I'm trying to give ideas to people out there, but say any <laughs> entrepreneurs listening that fancy repeating Airbnb's trick and creating a, a dedicated Saudi sure. platform. Perhaps in Arabic. Yeah. Might work. Mm-hmm might actually work. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of wheels turning. Yeah. And it's very ambitious targets to reach 30 million visitors a year by 2030, even 2030. I mean, a decade away. Okay, there is will be a certain amount of, of momentum built, but it will take a while to build that momentum. And it's and it's a, it's a moving target because not their 30 million, but tourism in general, because other destinations not just in the region, but around the world, will also be competing for visitors. And, and while you create, you know, in the beginning, they'll be looking to create a domestic demand because they have this 28 million population that could easily, you know, help get that going. Um, though, and then those domestic travelers will want to will want to travel internationally as well, those that aren't already doing it. And then that's when you need to to kind of keep that demand growth going by bringing people from from elsewhere, low hanging fruit. GCC visitors, mm -hmm. you'd think, mm -hmm. to begin with. I also think they're way ahead of the curve on a lot of these sustainability projects. And the fact that on day one, they're building to be eco-friendly is a huge competitive advantage against uh, some of these other cities that are now, you know, facing... They're reverse engineering. It, having to reverse yeah. engineer around really old infrastructure. I mean, can you imagine being in Paris or Rome and having to figure out how to make certain aspects of their infrastructure eco-friendly? I think Saudi Arabia has been very smart in terms of placing itself against this isn't this isn't Bali, this isn't Petra, this isn't Rome. And yet, doesn't it look like you could actually have a very similar, really culturally enriching experience here? I, th I think one of the most interesting things, um, Ashley mentioned that our colleague Haley Skirker, who's a travel editor, was on the, the podcast last week, um, has also been traveling around Saudi as part of the, these initiatives to, to get people to understand. As she was walking around Jeddah and meeting a lot of locals, really, and she's been tweeting, you know, follow her account on, on Twitter, um, really about how welcoming the locals have been. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she'd be in a shop and, 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 and Saudis would just approach her and, and, and the group she was with and say, where are you from? Um, and this is really interesting because anybody who's who's, who's traveled to, uh, to Saudi on business has known in the past that necessarily, particularly at the airport, it's been infamous for not being particularly welcoming. And I've been in I've been in my own visa queues that you know could last anywhere from half an yeah, hour to three hours. It's, it's a vibe. On, it's on a vibe in that airport. Official. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so things are changing, and um, you know, the Ashley mentioned Fifty Cent. Um, there's been a whole load of concerts this year in Saudi, and, and they had special visas that were issued in minutes. Mm -hmm. um, for people to travel to that wanted to travel to Saudi for some of these concerts, not just Fifty Cent, others as well. Um, uh, I think we've got a list of <laughs> of, of people that were there, not Nicki Minaj, no. um, but um, <laughs> I was trying to, but, but but that's the only one I remember. Name she, didn't, she, didn't, she didn't go. Um, I think was it Celine Dion? I think or, yes. or Jennifer Lopez. Am I am I right? That's here? an impressive uh, Mem <laughs> level of memory. Uh, Janet Jackson. Sorry, <laughs> Janet Jackson. <laughs> Uh, Liam Payne, whoever that is, um, and 50 Cent, as we said, who, who amongst those who performed, and obviously Arabic artists as well. Mm -hmm. um, so the, 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 the 180 in the welcoming culture, at least from officialdom, because I think the people have always been fairly friendly. Yeah, I mean, you read all these beautiful color, colorful features on the Hajj pilgrimage and how families are so welcoming and it's a real opportunity to meet uh, citizens of the world and bring them into Saudi. This is such an interesting, like, this is a culture that's used to hosting millions of travelers each year. This is going to be in an entirely new context, but they're practiced at it. And I think 
this welcoming vibe, this welcoming culture, this warmth of hosting is actually something that's really, it's part of their culture. Um, and it's exciting that other people will be able to experience it. So it's good they're getting the soft stuff right, which isn't easy. But then there's the, the sort of hard data. How much is this going to add to GDP? How much is this going to help um, in the next five years with the diversification, with the overall vision 2030, which everybody is you know is asking for updates? How's that going? I've um, obviously got the really big headline uh, initiatives like the Saudi Ramco IPO, which is now in, 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 a, in a strange place because it got all that momentum. Then we had the attacks. And now you know people are questioning about vulnerabilities. So this has actually been a really big PR win for Saudi Arabia in terms of its its overall intentions and it's going to follow through on the ambitions. But I think it's safe to say that what's going to show through in the numbers is going to be slow. Mm -hmm. the, this kind of additional non-oil related revenues. It will be incremental. Right. The targets are really ambitious. It's I think it's a half million hotel keys by 2030, half million new hotel rooms by in the next nine years. Um, but it's going to be incremental one hotel at a time. What what might have a quicker impact is actual jobs on the ground, mm. because it's it's not only the, the the development of these resorts that will create jobs. Aim you know a lot of them will be aimed for Saudis. Um, I mean, obviously not we're talking construction workers, but you know more of the skilled jobs. But also just the again tour guides, logistics. Um, you know, you know, having to increase the tourism, uh, the number of people just working in tourism, which will probably be a really good fit for, for for some Saudi nationals. So that could be kind of the really the really quick short term win if they continue on this pace and this momentum. Uh, we don't know what kind of obstacles are thrown up in terms of, of meeting these targets. We don't know how other things go. And again, you know, it's a moving uh, industry in the, in the sense of. Okay, they're focusing on luxury, ecotourism makes sense. It seems though right now the tourism trend is, and as we saw with our friends at Thomas Cook, mm. who kind of fell foul of, of, of really fast moving trends and were unable to, to kind of adjust, people are looking for experiences, people are looking for um, you know, heritage, culture, something that is really, really different. Saudi has a lot of that, but can it, be quick enough to take advantage of it now while that's what people want. Mm -hmm. And I would say that actually that if I'm in if I'm in the UAE, let's say, since we I am in the UAE, <laughs> um, and I, I'm in the tourism authorities, I'd look at that and I'd say, that's competition coming down. We sure. have to be really on our A game. Saudi can bring big headline acts for concerts. Saudi has UNESCO heritage sites. Saudi has wonderful coastline. What is it that, that, that Saudi doesn't have right now that we have in the UAE? And there's always the UAE's advantage, and that's infrastructure, making it easy. So really, I mean, there's a lot of untapped opportunities here. I think the UAE hasn't quite got it right on the theme parks yet. They've got great theme parks. People don't even know how good they are. But actually getting the people there and, and, and making it easy for people to go and maybe thinking about how you package them so that it's not quite as costly for one-off visits, um, making people understand that you know in a single day they can go to a theme park and then they can perhaps go to a heritage site. There's a lot of work to be done. And, 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 and to my mind, when you've got a behemoth on the horizon of Saudi Arabia, that should focus the minds of tourism officials in Abu Dhabi, in Dubai, in Ras Al Khaimah, in Sharjah, in the rest of the Emirates to say, you know what, we've been competing with each other already as it is, and maybe we need to kind of be a bit more cohesive and work together. And I think that's the difficult mindset. I think that's really the challenge for the UAE is to kind of really um, piece together the different strengths of each Emirate 
and, mm-hmm. and into a cohesive destination that people from outside who frankly don't understand and maybe don't want to understand that there are seven different emirates. Right. There's there's that, no distinction to a UAE visitor necessarily. And, and, it, and they shouldn't feel it necessarily if they don't live here. Mm-hmm. They should be able to go to one part of the country to the other with one trip. And 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 maybe the battleground is actually for Chinese tourists because they tend to be a little bit easier to organize and herd, if you forgive the expression, mm-hmm. because they tend to come with like really well organized one trip. You don't want to be behind two of those buses as they're as they're debussing. Is that right? It's it's a it's a logistical. You're, yeah, there's just I mean because they they travel in there's a couple hundred of them and they do they travel in organized trips and they're it's a big get for the tourism industry to court Chinese tourists and I think the UAE has done it really well. But yeah, I, this interest this is such an interesting point you're making around Saudi Arabia is launching really as a national tourist destination. Dubai and Abu Dhabi and even now Ras al-Khaimah have different identities. And so how do you coalesce these identities for a competitive advantage? Yeah. And and there's good things like, you know, Abu Dhabi and and Dubai I've seen have made real efforts to kind of uh, make life easy for Chinese tourists, whether it's Mandarin signs in Dubai Mall or being able to use uh, the WeChat pay system um, or, you know, Chinese language TV, Mandarin language uh, TV channels in hotels, you know, making sure they get accreditation. So hotels in Abu Dhabi will get accreditation from these Chinese uh, tourism bodies so that Chinese tourists feel comfortable. But it'd be nice to see um, instead of Abu Dhabi on its own, you know, reaching out and Dubai on its own reaching out, a more cohesive selling point. Because mm-hmm. Saudi is going to do it as Saudi. And they already are. Yeah. yeah. One, one, one place, massive country, lots of different places to see. And there's, there's only a short time before, you know, they're really going to be the big before beast. Six Flags, Neom, all of the above yeah. are open. Yeah. So that, to, me, to me, that's the interesting dynamic now. And we've seen how successful the UAE has played at, at kind of making tourism an important part of the so of, it's of GDP. Can this rising tide of tourism actually raise all boats yeah. or is it going to leave others behind? I mean, competitions can only be good for the visitor in the end. But we, but also, you know, we look at the economy holistically. You want competition to be good for operators as well. You want margins to be fairly healthy and robust. You know, if it ends up just being, we're going to cut prices so that we're cheaper than Saudi, nobody wins. If that's the only, if, if that ends up being the name of the game. Kelsey, thanks so much for joining us again. Good to be here. Uh, we will speak soon. Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. Saudi Aramco has restored crude production to pre-attack levels following the strikes last month on its facilities, which cut off half of its supply and caused oil prices to spike. Spending on artificial intelligence in the Middle East and Africa region is expected to grow almost 43% year-on-year in 2019, as local businesses invest more on projects that utilize AI capabilities and platforms, according to a new report. And far from being a spendthrift generation living only for the moment, Generation Z's 18 to 24-year-olds appear to have been shaped by the global financial crisis into conscientious long-term savers. That's it for today. If you have enjoyed this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you listen on. All that remains is to thank our production team, Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, and you all for listening. Do join us again next time. 